Ossert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the Ossert Podcast, Share Today, Save Tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana. This month, I chat with Darren Pauley. Darren was a well-known technology reporter and has carved out a specialty writing and reporting about cybersecurity. He shares his insights into why written communication is so important in the world of cybersecurity and how to be a better communicator. And then it's over to my co-host, Beck, who chats with Ossert's Mark Curry-Smith, about communication and an exciting new course on data governance that OSCERT is now offering. So I'm joined today by Darren Pauly. How are you doing, mate? Good, mate. Yourself? Really well. So this is a bit of back to the future because we've ticked and tacked over a long time, having both worked as security journos over the years. And a lot of people will know you as being having been a journo in the past, a security journo. What are you doing now? Now I work in Telstra's internal cybersecurity unit and doing end-user awareness. So my job is basically to help people in the public or in, inside of the you know, staff to understand cybersecurity, how it affects them and how it affects the world around them. So like, that sounds like a big thing because like <laughs> trying to teach the world about cyber and starting from within what is a pretty old organization like Telstra where there's probably some fairly traditional views lying around. Mm. What, how do you actually go about doing it? So we employ much of the same skill sets as we do as journalists, right? So when it comes to it's, with, with communication, it's all about really open and honest and simple communications, right? So you look at typically like business speak or training and all that kind of stuff. That's not how you'd sort of talk to someone at a barbecue or your mate at a pub. So we try to uh, eliminate that, bring a real kind of casual, personable uh, overlay to all the kind of communications that we do and make things fun and engaging and it really works. So what's, what's some of the things you actually do? Like, have you, like, knocked out part of the 15th floor and set up a barbecue and, you know, virtual backyard or something? Like, what sorts of stuff are you actually doing? It's kind of funny with the office thing, right? So we're all, pretty much everyone at Telstra is working home, right? Fairly, 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 pretty pretty much across the organisation. So the idea of a centralised building, like, we used to have the main headquarters, kind of thing, we still do, but that used to be, you know, we used to run fun things in the foyer, right? We are giving away one, one year, we were giving away ridiculously, insanely flavoured popcorn and doing hacking demos and stuff. And that was really fun. But that's all gone now. So, um, you know, we, we try to make cybersecurity something that is really achievable, really understandable. You know, right, we'd, we run a little internal kind of news service that talks about, you know, interesting stuff that happens in cybersecurity, provide analysis for it, and then make really everything that we do centers around the individual. So how do you protect, not so much about like, how do you protect Telstra at work? Like, how do you protect yourself and your family? And if you're safe at home, then you're safe everywhere you go. And, you know, that eventually leads to the, you know, a broader, more secure nation. So that's interesting because you, you kind of just say, don't worry about work, just save your own butt. Pretty and then, then that kind of just resonates and people take that message with them. Yeah, I think as a, as a philosophy, that's definitely it. And that really permeates all the little projects and things that we do. 
of course you've got training, of course you've got policy, and yeah. don't do this or don't do that or you know whatever it is. But I think when you have that as an the, the idea of personable, you know, cybersecurity mattering to you, that there's not the sort of divide between work and home. If you start with that, everything else comes. It just removes the friction out of things, mm-hmm. you know. And then yeah, and even if you look at, you know. Security incidents that have happened over the years, you know, people's personal servers at home getting popped and have brought home work or intelligence or whatever. There really isn't that much of a delineation. Yeah. So t- one of the things you mentioned there, like that your organisation, like almost everyone now, is almost a fully remote or at the very least pretty hybrid mm. in the way they operate. Like, how do you do that in a way that doesn't make it feel like the crappy computer-based training education that we used to have to all suffer through? which they used to make us do by sitting in an auditorium and watching a big screen. Now, how do you stop it from becoming boring and everyone have to sit around watching a small screen? Mm, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And we've seen like greater compliance and better risk reduction and more like, you know, we run a champions program sort of thing so people can sign up and, you know, we send them emails and we have info sessions and stuff. And all of that's gone up and up and up and up. I haven't looked at it as a percentage of, has it gone quicker over the kind of COVID remote home thing or whatever? But it's really not impacted us at all. I think that we try to, like people are used to watching people speak on a screen. Mm. And so we get, when we have these monthly info sessions, we get interesting people from everywhere to talk about you know, security as it impacts this area or whatever, or maybe someone's had identity theft and they're willing to talk about that experience. And so people love that sort of stuff and, and we have a lot of retention. So yeah, I, I haven't really seen the, aside the, practical implications or limitations of not being in an office so you can't like put posters up because you know what are you gonna do that or run some fun thing in the foyer that's all gone so you don't do like a pen test and start putting stuff on people's wallpaper instead of putting (laughs) it around the hat and putting instead of putting it up on a post in the office there were fun things like kind of exercises like that that you were that we were able to do when everyone was in the office and you guess you still can but all of that was really you know if you look at kind of 80 20 rule or whatever your 80 percent being the thing that all, all your heavy lifting that's a majority of risk reduction and the 20 percent is maybe fun right mm. if you've got a if you do fishing drills your fishing drills are 80 percent, but you're spear fishing if you're going to get into that or you know mm. you've got a graduated system or whatever that might be 20 percent. so I, th- I think all of the fun stuff that we would have done in an office is solidly 20 percent. Yeah. you know although it all worked yeah. yeah hey one of the things you said in there was you talked about the retention of the stuff people are learning, how are you actually measuring and monitoring that retention? Because the traditional thing is everyone used to do mandatory two hours of cybersecurity training every year alongside with all the other mandatory yeah. training that you had to do for compliance. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, everyone had forgotten everything that they just heard over those two hours. How do you measure because, the retention? Yeah, so so you still, that, that training hasn't gone away. It, it looks, it's more fun, you know, it's easier. It's not this sort of battery of information and definitely... We challenge all the existing myths and make things practical. So you always got to really, 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 and actually I think that might be the answer to the question, make things pragmatic. You know, like if you say, I don't know, passwords are a brilliant one, uppercase, lowercase, special you know, character, all this kind of rubbish, a, a password manager makes that easier. But if you're trying to remember that, it's, it's impossible. So you've got to meet people and pass phrases is kind of meeting people halfway. Hmm. Here's something that's memorable and it's secure, right? It's a good combination. So... I think that security, if someone said this, I'm stealing this from someone's mouth, I don't know who, but it was security that comes at the expense of convenience comes at the expense of security, which is to say, if it's hard, people won't do it. Mm. You might have your 
ordered this checkbox, but it means nothing in terms of actual risk reduction or compliance. So you've got to make things fun and engaging. You've got to make things memorable. You know, you've got to tell stories all the time in everything you do and really meet people where they are. Go to their lives. Don't make them pull themselves to you to sort of comply with something that feels alien. So how long have you been at Telstra now doing this? I measure it by how old my first kid is. So six and a half years. Six and a half years. <laughs> so in that six and a half years, things a lot of stuff's changed in the world of cyber. Like mm. we... You know, it was, it's been 10 years since probably the first really big mega breach hit the news globally, which was probably Target in the US. Yeah. And then it took, it, it took us nine or 10 years to catch up, but we had our, we've had our round of big mega breaches in Australia now with, you know, we've had a, ma- a major carrier hit, we've had a health insurer hit, and we've had a finance company hit. So we've now caught up to that. How would communication have potentially changed some of those situations that we've seen happen over the last year? <sighs> Like, I mean, could it have made it a difference? You know, I, I have <laughs> so much faith in good communication. I think done well, its potential is endless. I don't know where its limitations would be. If you can communicate, if you've got security teams that are looking at vulnerabilities and they can communicate risk in a way that makes sense, not speaking in, you know, security absolution absolutisms, Yeah then you're going to get people patching better, understanding mm. fundamentally what, that, why, they're, why they're personally incentivized to fix stuff mm. while some dusty old CVE can't kick around or why maybe a low-rated CVE chained together is something more significant. That's just on the patching side. Mm. What about if you're able to influence board or executives and go, you know, sure, it's about, you know, you frame everything in terms of risk to the business and stuff. But, you know, we talk about vulnerabilities. What about talking about consequences, for instance? Ultimately, that's what they are, aren't they? It's a vulnerability gets exploited and then there's some sort of consequence on the lives of someone. So I think good communication where people are able to break down that curse of knowledge where they can't see out of their own academic field and then communicate in a way that is simple, remove business speak and talk in a way, plain English way that everyone can understand that is very clear and structured well, as we would put together, you and I would put together a new story. So the challenge in cyber is that a lot of the stories are bad news stories. Yeah. Like, you know, we talk about if you get breached, this is going to happen. If you're a board member of a breached company, there are potential penalties to the organisation. And I know that there are now people are talking about perhaps having penalties directly on directors. So directors are going to start thinking about, you know, can I afford that $400,000 fine personally as opposed to the $400,000 fine, which is a drop in the, in the ocean for a billion-dollar revenue kind of organisation? How do we flip the stories into positive stories that actually encourage positive behaviour? You know, someone once said, you know, you can either use a carrot stick or a tambourine. You know, you can either smack them over the head, incentivise them or lead them. How do you write the stories to do that? And how do you present those stories up? It's kind of, it's really, it's a really interesting one. You know, I, I was called once when, you know, there was only a few, you and I. And it was only well, a handful of us in the olden days. There was no one, right? Someone called me the prophet of pain once because all I ever wrote about was like tragedy. <laughs> and nothing's, tra- I mean, it's only gotten worse. Yeah. I think that if you give people at, at a user level, right? Talking to someone who's not tech or whatever. If you give them the skills they need and the tools they need and the clarity that they need to protect themselves, that's a great story. Right, that's a good thing. And fundamentally, it's all all the stuff they need to do as an end user really is free. It's good password management, it's MFA, we know this stuff. 
at a personal level, at a board level, you know, <laughs> there's no getting around a bad story, right? If people are, if, if cybercrime trashes organizations, trashes small businesses, that's awful. But I find the, the, the positive side of it is that the answers are known, right? Who said it? That, that it was like the technical domain or whatever it is. I'm going to get that wrong. But the, the, the solutions are a technical the technical realm is known. We know what to do to increase our defences. Hmm. I think the remainder, the answer, the gap is a political one. It's about decisions. Do, are you prepared to bring a network down for a week in order to do the stuff you need to do to improve fundamental security or whatever it is? Or can you t- take this server offline for X amount of time? And, and that's always been the technical argument is we only patch once a month because we can't afford to, you know... We'd yeah. rather have a three-hour outage monthly than a five-minute hour, five-minute outage weekly. In mm. those, you know, those were the sorts of arguments that used to happen. As as the communication around that change, where the five minutes of weekly pain is better than the three hours of monthly pain or quarterly pain, it's like, are you hearing? Like when you communicate those sorts of messages across your business, is that sort of changing in the way it's perceived now? Massively. You remember Lulsec? Yeah. You know. Everyone loved LulzSec uh, in security because it put security up in the boardroom unless you were getting targeted by them, right? That noise, that extreme noise from cybercrime. And I, I, I mean, I, I write about it all the time now. I mean, obviously, we live and breathe it. But I still find it difficult to get my head around the amount of money being lost. Mm-hmm. You know, tens of millions of dollars for crypto stuff or whatever. North Korea is funding its regime through cyber. That's insane. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that is, there's a, there's a, a, what's the word? There's a, there's a, a, a an equal, uh, equal understanding. As much as cybercrime has like exploded, the way that boards and executives and stuff are now seeing and understanding and caring about cybersecurity kind of matches that. They know that, and they've seen their colleagues, their other, their organizations that are in their industry be brought down to their knees, right? In the public realm, highly public, highly publicized stuff, that there's a bigger understanding about cybersecurity and a, a, a reduced tolerance for, you know, insecure practices and mishandling of data. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm absolutely seeing at the highest levels a complete turnaround in the discussion about cybersecurity, 100%. So one of the, there was something else you said in there. You keep kind of raising new things, you know, <laughs> that you're saying in there. But one of the things is noise. Like, I kind of think, you know, I think about magazine management, you know, so it'll be a exec in a plane reads you know reads the in flight magazine in a, in the in the plane or they've just picked up a you know one of the daily papers wherever they are and there'll be some cybersecurity massive problem that we've all got to deal with you know whether it's you know I, mean, I don't know you can almost pick thread of the week you know yeah. it was Heartbleed a few years ago yes. and you know we've had a whole bunch of these different ones that pop up and they get lots and lots of publicity seemingly because whoever unveils them gets marketing departments to back them up and sure do, do all of this sort of stuff. But that produces a lot of noise. And the problem with cyber, one of the challenges with cyber is sometimes you don't know what it is you're actually trying to focus on. It's a bit like trying to nail jelly to a wall when you're trying to actually deal with it. Yeah. How do you figure out what's what's the signal to noise? What's your, you know, what's your heuristic for separating those things? Yeah, it is an interesting one. And, and I think a, a real fundamental thing, as you'd know, in communication is simplicity. Simplicity and fundamentals, right? Things like that. Every, as soon as you start getting a bit complicated and, you know, you start breaking rules, everything falls apart. And understanding suffers. And I think with 
the way that news headlines and of course it's no it's no issue i have no issue with the way that media operates of course that was our our, our, our thing for a while yeah i think you need to just keep selling tell them and tell them again and tell them what you told told them and keep reinforcing the need for fundamentals how powerful they are look at i mean yeah e8 central aid is kind of a hotness that's everywhere you know Mm. but it's for good reason these are although they're wildly complex stuff to implement for like big organizations and too technical for smaller organizations they're, they're, it's all about the fundamentals isn't it and so yeah it's powerful stuff and look and that's the interesting thing when you look at something like the essential aid yeah it can be complex for an enterprise to implement things like you know we, we talk about mfa almost as a throwaway term now yeah but i mean if you haven't got mfa putting mfa in to a large organization is actually really hard not and the technology is pretty well known and you can go and, you know, you can almost walk into, you know, Joe's Corner Milk Bar and buy an MFA solution. There's enough of them around now yeah. that they're easy to find. But the complexity is the people side, of course, and helping them on that journey and communicating to them. So, you know, I think one of the good things that we can come out with and when we are storytelling about stuff like this is the E8 not impossible for anyone to do. Like, I have a very small business. You know, it's only a handful of people but we do things like you know MFA, and we do things like regular backups. You know, there's a few. There's some of the essential. Like most of it's actually achievable if you get past the signal to noise stuff. Yes. Yeah. So, what's broken in the way you, you hear people and see people communicate about cyber? Oh. I mean, I've always said that cyber war is BS, and if you take that position of how cyber cyber is marketed and sold as a military industrial complex piece that's terribly damaging so are you saying that the cybersecurity companies aren't out there actively creating malware so that they <laughs> keep their jobs keep their businesses running oh man i, I saw this one <laughs> is this like is that the conspiracy theory we're fighting <laughs> I think it's like you know you know it's like there was there's this one organization i don't know if it's still around but they were, they were doing sock training but also you know, boot camp stuff. So, you know, it's not enough that some sort of computer guy jumps around a laptop. No, he's also got to crawl through mud, you know, get bullets fly over his head at the same time. Like, these are different realms. And I think the way we're seeing with so much more coverage and journalists in the cybersecurity beat, I think there's a lot more sense into it and a bit more understanding. It's still wild, right? I think overstating a real problem, actually, to get back to your question, a real problem that endures now and has endured since the 80s is that we 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 put too much focus on the wrong things so like they've been talking about the answers to some of this stuff for decades 30 mm. years and there's still issues right spend don't get the latest led blinky light thing that you found at you know some big us conference keynote Right, it's probably not what you need. Go and look to see how much you, how, how many check, how many ticks do you have against your fundamentals, right? And how, what's compliance like? What's understanding like in your organisation? Do people know why they have to do these certain processes to stay secure? Do they fundamentally agree with it? Is that one of the big gaps? Is that Huge. like we we play compliance bingo and tick the boxes, but we don't link that to real business activity and real business outcome is that is that probably is that the big thing i think that and also we need to look at like what hackers give a 
Stuff. Damn, it's stuff about really. They don't care that you accept it. There's that beautiful KiwiCon poster, right? You know, hackers don't give a damn—not <laughs> that word—about you know risk accepted or that you've you, you had a PCI audit or whatever it is, and all these different things. None of them they 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 they, they keep the orders at bay, but they do nothing in real world terms to stop hackers breaking in. You know, so you need to really recalibrate the way that you think. A way like audit audit audits matter, compliance matters. Boring training matters. It's it's not to say that's that that's mm. out the door, but it's definitely not the be all and end all. You need to really have an honest understanding about you know the, about threat. You need to map threat to risk. Threat intel that's in isolation is just something that you can say is cool, mm. but it's useless, completely useless. Yeah. Unless that's coming into operational outcomes and risk reduction, don't why even have it? And so you have these different things that you re, you really need to put a lot of attention into and I think and I think the people issue your staff all the way up to executives and boards and partners supply chains I mean look at supply chains breaches mm. go and help them with an honest understanding give them an honest effort about how they can you know better understand security awesome so we're going to close this out now last question for you and this is one that for everyone in seasons three of the OzCert podcast which is called share today to save tomorrow this is the question we're asking everyone this year. What do you wish you knew 10 years ago? I'd say the price of Ethereum, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crypto um, bubbles, yeah. Crypto bubbles. Let's, let's limit it to but, cyber. What do you, what, what do you yeah. wish you knew about 10 years ago and to do with cyber? Oh, geez. You know, there was an article probably 10 years ago I wrote about Tox ransomware. It didn't live long, T-O-X, and it was... Some guy at Trend Micro found it. It was the first ransomware as a service. But I I think, I don't know if that coin was, the term was coined then. And he just opened up the model, but he was badly built and it fell over. And now look at it. I think if I, if I knew the way that ransomware would go and the way that the, the the incentives for cybercrime, I wish I had a better understanding of that. Awesome. Thanks for your time, mate. Thanks. And now it's over to Beck and Mark. Thank you, Anthony. Back for another busy month and the year seems to be slipping by. Very excited that our main interview was with Darren Pauly this month. I really enjoy our relationship that we've had with Darren through the conference over the years and it was great to have him as a presenter for the first time. So today, though, I'm joined by the lovely Mark Kerry-Smith. How are you today, Mark? Great. How about you? I'm awesome. Always awesome. Excited that we've got more conversations that we can have and then follow through. These months seem to just slip into each other. I can't believe we're back recording another podcast, but August has been a month. So I just wanted to pick up on some of the things that Darren was talking about, because I I don't think you'll argue that communication is very important. Yeah, that's right. The thing that I really liked about Darren's presentation was some of the really practical things that he described. in terms of how to improve our communication, about why written communication is so important. And, you know, on the face of it or in an intuitive sense, people go, yeah, written comms is important. But it's when you start to talk about some of the nuances of written communication. And one of the things that, that Darren mentioned earlier in his in the presentation, which is online now, all the conference presentations. Yeah, absolutely. Online. I will link through to the YouTube video so people can catch up on that. Yeah, so highly recommended. It's definitely worth 40 minutes to have a quick look at what Darren says and some of the really interesting things that he talks about. 
And the way that he pitched the the presentation itself was also, I mean, it wasn't written. It was, it was you know, verbal and non-verbal. But it's probably a good little template for people when they're thinking about a conference presentation, how to structure it, talk about what's important right up front, start with why, as Simon Sinek says. It was good. Yeah, I think there's a so much that we take for granted in communication and particularly in written and and it's something that we are you know we're impacted by all day every day in our roles and and i don't think anyone can argue that if we had great communication whether we'd solve all the problems in the world right it's getting the right people talking to the right people in the right way yeah so is there any tips and tricks that you personally use and when you're looking at your written communication how do you make sure that you're aiming to communicate well Excellent question. And I get it's it's one of these things that it's easy to say and a little bit harder to do. And I've always do, got... Do as I say and not as I do. Is that what you're telling me? Exactly. <laughs> I've always got great advice for other people about how to communicate. Don't always do it myself. But something I find often when I'm reviewing other people's comms, especially written comms, is is waffle. And it's something that's definitely <laughs> been, been levied against me more than once. But I often find when I'm reading a sentence that's two or three lines long and think half of that could be cut out. And that reminds me of something that Darren said in his presentation, which was every word should earn its place. So if there's something in a sentence that doesn't really need to be there, get rid of it. Make it more succinct. And that helps your reader. And that's something that we sometimes might lose sight of, that you're writing this for a reason you're writing whatever it is you're writing whether it's an email message or a report or you know a piece of fiction even and some reports are <laughs> more <laughs> fiction than non-fiction exactly think about your audience think about their needs and what they know and what they don't know so something that i find really frustrating when i'm reading something especially internal business comms is when the person starts with a sentence you already know about this or you are aware or you will be aware. And I think, no, I'm not. How do you know? <laughs> yes. Please don't assume you know what I know because I don't know what you're talking about. We all know what assume means. <laughs> Absolutely. So a good example of that, I guess, to, to make things a little bit more concrete is the use of acronyms, right? We don't always know who our audience is going to be. We don't necessarily know whether a report might be forwarded to someone else or an email message. So a good standard rule of thumb is the first time you use an acronym, just explain it. And then from there you can use it. Like that's just a nice, simple rule or a practice, I guess, that if everybody followed, life would be a little bit more simple. Yeah, I really like that too. Something I learned when I was doing my PhD and trying to get papers published was to think about your message in terms of the title of the paper, first of all, the title has to be interesting. If your title's not interesting, maybe no one's going to read that paper. Then it won't go any further, yeah. Yeah, and the whole thing about academic writing, of course, is that you want people to read your paper and to cite your paper. So you might have 100 papers to read in a week. So if the title looks boring, maybe someone's going to pass it by. So title first, is it interesting? So in a written comms perspective, we could say that might be the subject of your email message. Make it interesting. Say what its purpose is, if you can. And then in an academic sense, your abstract is a very important thing because for a lot of papers, only the abstract gets read. And if that looks boring or, or irrelevant, no one's going to read the rest of the paper. I think of that in a lot of my emails. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So you could, you could say, 
maybe your first paragraph is the equivalent of an abstract. Mm -hmm. Explain to your audience why they should care about this thing, why they should read the rest of this message, for instance. And so when I was doing lecturing, I'd often tell students, in any subject, when you're doing a written exam, make it easy on the marker. Think about their perspective. They're probably reading a hundred of these things. In a big course, they might read 800. That sounds like hell. It is hell. <laughs> Marking papers is far and away the worst part of academia in my limited experience. So that person hates this. They've been doing it for hours. They are bored out of their brain. Don't make them search for the answer. Tell them what the answer is. So the equivalent of that in a business comms perspective would be, as Darren said, and it's an old newspaper saying, don't bury the lead. Absolutely. Say what's important straight up front. Maybe even say what you want your reader to do right up front. So if that's the first, if that's the only thing they read, at least they know what you want. The TLDR. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and we want to avoid that people start reading it and they glaze over mentally as soon as they start reading. They're just going to switch off and go to something else. So thinking about their needs, don't make assumptions about what they already know. If you are in a really good position where you do understand your audience or the recipient of your message and you understand who they are and what they know, then that helps you pitch your message to a, a level that's appropriate for them. Don't bombard them with technical statistics, for example, if you're communicating metrics. If you're talking to an exec, they don't care about statistics. They don't make sense. They're boring. So thinking about your audience is really critical, I think. Awesome. I love that. The only thing I'm going to add in, in my tips is to reread things yourself before you send them to other people. You know, sometimes in as you're writing, and I think we do it in all of the, all aspects of writing, not just reports, emails, text messages. If you go back and read the things that you've sent people, yeah. So that that's going to be my hot tip that I'm adding to the take. Yeah, that's a beauty, and I'm sure all of us have experienced a situation where you write something, and then you read it and go, oh, actually, I've missed like that's not what I meant this. at all. <laughs> <laughs> or I started in the middle, or I made an assumption about what you wanted. Yeah. And I guess another corollary there is to don't write when you're angry. <laughs> or if you do, reread it when you're a little bit calmer. Yeah. Write it, delete it, start again. <laughs> mm. Yes, I'm sure we've all heard those stories of people <laughs> communicating with people when they're angry that maybe didn't serve them in the end. Yeah, got to pick the right time. Mm. Lovely. All right. Well, I think it's a... And a nice piece to give you some update on what's happening at OzCert. We have got a lot of things happening all at once at the moment. And no, you might be a surprise that conference plans are already underway for next year, but I won't bore you with those just yet until we've got some more exciting details. But um, education has been taking up a big piece of our time. Our training courses are really popular. I'm super excited. And I know, Mark, you've been helping with this project of launching our governance training. Sure have. So it's not something that happens overnight, unfortunately. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been nice? <laughs> so, yep, now we've got a great new course. We've piloted that course with some people that could give us feedback. We've spoken to our members and got some feedback. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about in the learnings that you've come from that and, and what our focus has been there? Yeah, it's been a really interesting process. For me personally, I'm, I'm a cybersecurity professional and I have been for a long time. So data governance... I really only have a, a, an introductory knowledge of. So it's been really good for me to be involved in the process of developing that content with a data governance expert and to sort of hone our messaging and really being able to run a pilot 
and get some feedback from participants is extremely valuable and it's great that we have enough time i mean we'd all like these things to happen quicker of course but it is a luxury to have the time and space to be able to run a pilot have a chat with people and get some good feedback to hone the next time we run those courses and roll them out into production really what about our old school cyber people that are going to say why do i care about data governance what's it got to do with me what is the link why have we linked these two together Great question. Well, there's all sorts of, all, well, a couple of things. There's, if you don't know where your data is and you don't know its value and you don't know where your personal information or your health information or your most critical information assets are and what state they're in, it makes it extremely hard to protect them. And in the event of an incident, it makes it extremely hard to be able to figure out what are we looking at here in terms of consequences. If you know that the, that the incident has resulted in the disclosure or the theft of personal information that's different than non-personal information so data governance helps us perform effective information management and asset management functions which help us with all sorts of other things like vulnerability management and incident management so even though a lot of times things like asset inventory or information asset management can be boring when you need it you really really need it and that's why most, you know, good cybersecurity frameworks like the CIS controls and the NIST CSF, they all have elements, generally speaking, they all have elements of asset and information management because they're foundational things mm. upon which lots of cybersec initiatives are built. Yeah. I think, you know, these high profile breaches that we've seen in the, in the past few years have really reminded us of how important it is to know what the information that we're holding and, and you know, when when things are on fire and you're trying to investigate, wouldn't it be so much better to know what assets you have there and how much information is there and not having to do that exploration layer at, at critical time? Absolutely. And, of course, one of the elements of or principles of privacy, good privacy management is don't keep data you don't need. Mm-hmm. So knowing that you have information or data that you don't actually need any longer Reducing your attack surface is just generally a good practice. The other thing that we're trying to do with the data governance training is to teach people some really interesting methodological things that they can use in non-data governance initiatives. So, for example, one of the things that we work through, and this is a very practical course, there's a lot of really interesting exercises as part of the course. So, identifying your pain points about something so in this context we're talking about data governance but you could substitute anything in relation to cybersecurity. so understanding your pain points or understanding your stakeholders and their pain points figuring out how to translate those pain points into problem statements and then building initiatives on the basis of that problem statement or those problem statements that's good generic knowledge or general knowledge that you mm-hmm. can apply to all sorts of things yeah, we're also going to, all over the place. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We're, we're also going to be teaching people how to develop a strategy on a page, and that's something, and including some good templates for this. And you can use that anywhere. Like lots and lots of times you need to develop a strategy on a page or a something on a page. You may not use strategy. You can substitute anything, any way of representing an idea, which might have lots of moving parts in a succinct way, it can be really, really useful. And that brings us back to written comms. 
Yeah, fantastic. It is evolving in a full circle moment there. I love it. That's what we're all about. Great. Well, I'm excited. We've we've got these dates already launched. September 27, we'll be running that data governance course for the first time as an in-person option. So that's a full day course for our Brisbane members. And our training is for members only. So it's heavily discounted and exclusive for members. But if you are not in Brisbane or you can't get to Brisbane, we are doing that online on October 11 and 12 as two half-day morning sessions. So if you want more information on that, that's all on the OzCert education page or reach out to membership at ozcert.org.au. I think that's probably enough from us for one day. Thank you for joining me, Mark. Totally welcome. We'll see you next month. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the OzCert podcast. And thanks to Darren and to Beck and Mark. We'll be back next month with a new episode of Season 3 of Share Today, Save Tomorrow with a new guest and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about AusCert, be sure to visit auscert.org.au.